Coming up on today's show, Patrick Mahomes is the best in the game. Kyler Murray is the future, and Dak Prescott deserves QB1 money. It's week two, which means it's time to overreact. Patriots are never losing again. The Dolphins will go 0-16, and Lamar Jackson is going to the Hall of Fame. Wait, wait a second. Who wrote this one? Bedtimes, baptisms, and we name all the ways that Sam Darnold did not get mono. All of this and much, much more coming up on the Tomahawk Show. Hawk, M&M's are not a candy bar. And for you thinking that, that makes you just as much of a psychopath as it does for Joe listening to his podcast at one and a half times speed. You guys are both crazy. Joe off yourself. I bench Brady, even though he's going against the Dolphins, because I think Baker Mayfield is going to light this team up with these injuries on the Jets. I'm predicting five passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns for Chubb. We're going to run it up on him. Please go poop on Farmer's Desk. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Tomahawk Show, presented by the good folks over at Uninterrupted. I am your humblest of all co-hosts joined by the first offensive lineman in the history of football joe thomas how are you doing today my good sir you know it's not a bad day uh the browns didn't lose um Mm. there was some football games on that came down the wire uh i had a baptism today so i missed like the first half of the first games so when i got home i was like frantically trying to catch up watching like game mix (laughs) red zone on two tvs like checking my twitter to see what highlights i missed and uh, i did my best to catch up and i know you have a really busy sunday yeah and i feel like our sundays couldn't be any more different today and i think each one of us was jealous of being in the other's shoes. That's funny. So you did a two-a-day at church today, right? You had a, a two-a-day? We had a two-a-day. You know, I went to church with the family because this was the first Sunday of Sunday school for the kids. Okay. We didn't want them to miss that. Then we had to buzz over, beat feet to my buddy's uh, kids' baptism, which was at uh, a different church, you know, not too far away, but like 15 minutes away. And uh-huh. so so we did a double dip. You know, we hit, we hit two services today. So I will uh, send your your sins away because i know you didn't go to any church today no. and uh you need to be forgiven for, for the many sins that you had this week against the tama flock yeah and i also uh worked on a sunday not only did i work i worked like four jobs today which is in complete <laughs> contrast of what you're supposed to do you also told me that you put your kids to bed at seven fifteen, which is wild for me because yeah, my kids put me to bed that's like an honest, <laughs> honest to God, probably at least four days out of the week, I go to bed before my kids. Not even joking. And I go to bed. Well, you late. wake up pretty early. and But I mean, like, who puts them to bed then? Do they just put themselves to bed? Do they just wander off when they're tired? Yeah, I mean, my wife puts them to bed, but there is honest to God times where me and my wife go to sleep and they put themselves to bed. This is a seven-year-old and twin four-year-olds because they're up and they're going. Like, they don't take... They don't take naps. They yeah. are night hawks in every sense yeah. of the word. Like no naps. They're up at the butt crack of dawn and they go to sleep later than us. So see, I know Austin a little bit and he's a real responsible kid. I don't know your daughters all that well. Wow. Chad. So I can totally see that Austin would know when he's reached his limit and it's time for him to like go to bed and he could get <laughs> himself there. But I just can't imagine my kids doing it. I, like, I, it is I, such a battle. But I, I guess you unless not. you give them the opportunity, you don't really know if they would ever do it. I kid you not. And this is this is going to be maybe this is terrible parenting on my part. My wife is incredible. 
Um, I just get tired sometimes. But I'll, I've told my, my son has put my daughters to sleep. Like, hey, go put the girls to sleep. And they listen to him, and he walks up to the room, God. and he lays them down, and he'll come back down, and we'll watch TV. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to head to bed. He's like, all right, Dad, I'll see you. And he'll be, <laughs> he'll be just up. <laughs> he makes yeah, it. I thoroughly believe that kids will take on more responsibility if you give them a little bit more freedom and you give them an opportunity to prove it to you. But if you treat them like immature little beings, they're going to act like it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in giving them more rope. But I haven't yet gone as far as you have. But maybe I should now. It sounds I, like you've got the key to parenting because dude, there's nothing I want to do more at 8 o'clock at night than go the hell to sleep because I'm so <laughs> tired at the end of the day. I just want them to put themselves to sleep, but it's just not the way we've ever done it. So I, I don't know. Maybe I, gotta, I, I would love to say I'm doing it for that reason to like give him rope, but I, honestly, I don't even think about it. He's just, he's just another <laughs> parent. There's three parents in the house and he's one of them. All right, listen, if you are oh. listening, um, make sure you're interacting with the show. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Reddit, at Tomahawk Show, as well as Facebook. Hit us up at Tomahawk. You can also leave a voicemail, as you've heard, to start the show off. We get hilarious voicemails and we listen to all of them. So we appreciate that. Hit us up, 440-628-1376. Leave us a voicemail. Say literally, the crazier thing you say, the more likely it is to be on the show. So get as wild as you possibly want to. Make it fun for um, our production assistant, Logan, um, in her ears. You know, get get weird, man. It's the Tomahawk Show. On today's show, we break down everything that is week two, and we preview the Browns-Jets Monday Night Football game, which is tonight by the time you're hearing this. All right, perfect. So, all right, let's get into week two edition of Tama Headlines. This is a special report from Tama Headlines. All right, Patriots molly the Dolphins, just like nobody <laughs> predicted. Um, <laughs> AB played. He balled out early. And I mean, honestly, when you watch the game, dude, it's like, I don't know if anybody's going to be, be able to beat the Patriots. Not just because their offense is wild, but their defense might be even better than their offense. Do you think there's a real possibility of the Patriots going 16-0? They do have a great possibility because they have not have a, had a defense like this since the first Super Bowls that Brady won. And if, if people can even think back far enough to remember what the Patriots looked like when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl, Tom Brady was not the franchise quarterback at that time. No. He was like the game manager. They were going to run the football. They mm-hmm. were going to play really good defense, and Tom Brady wasn't going to lose the game. Now, of course, he's changed a lot since that time, but it's almost like right now their defense is as good as they were during that time frame, yeah. but now Tom Brady is the GOAT. So that's pretty frightening for the other NFL teams because their secondary is – unconscious like you can't throw the football against them up front they are so fundamentally sound they're so gap sound it's very hard to consistently run the football on them so i really don't know how you'd attack their defense and then on the other side of the football you got tom brady who's scoring just about every time he touches the football and that puts so much pressure on an opposing offense because now you think holy cow we got to get going and we got to score every single time because we got to match tom brady but we don't know how to do it because we can't throw the football and if we run the football the game's going to be over and we're going to lose 24 27 0 so 
they don't even know how to attack them. They don't know if they should hurry up, if they should slow it down to try to limit the, the possessions and shorten the game. There's no good answer about how to attack the Patriots right now. Yo, I mean, if the, the defense scored two touchdowns today. They beat the Dolphins, what was it, 43 nothing, John? Mm-hmm. Double check that. So it's 43 nothing. they beat the Dolphins. The defense scored two touchdowns. In the last three games the Patriots have played, including the Super Bowl, they held the Rams to three points, which was the best offense in the NFL behind the Chiefs. Last week, they held the Steelers to three points. Mm-hmm. And this week, they shut the Dolphins out completely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mix that what they have on offense – I don't see – watching that entire game, which I did, it's hard to envision anybody being able to beat them. And I know we say that every year. We overreact to a 2-0 and start or even teams that have played well at the beginning of the season. But there aren't any holes. There's opportunities to be holes. As we know, there's a lot going on around a lot of players in that locker room. But as an offense, like every time they would put the highlights on – they were throwing to somebody different. Antonio Brown was getting one-on-one coverage. Antonio Brown probably hasn't got gotten one-on-one <laughs> coverage that much in the last eight years. Who the Steelers' offense with Ben Big Big Ben went out with an injury, but when he was in there, they looked terrible. By the way, Here, here's a fun stat from the New England game. Do you know who the leading receiver was? Who? It was a tie between Edelman and Antonio Brown. Do you know how many catches they had? Yes, I do. Six. Four. No, four. They had four catches. Yeah. Do you know how amazing the balance that that offense is right now? <laughs> that Josh Gordon had two catches. James uh-huh. White had three. Uh, Philip Dorsett had three. Burkhead had two. Uh, Lacoste had two. They, Brown and Edelman had four each. And they I mean, they, they handed the ball off to, to Sonny Michelle like 21 they had times. 35, yeah, 35 carries. Sonny Michelle had 21. They had 126 in the ground. So basically, they only threw the ball when they felt like it. They didn't have to throw the football because they were just beating them up up yeah. front with their ground game. And then they just threw the ball for fun. Do you and think they, have they just distributed talent? whoever they wanted. Do There's think, no coverage that can handle all these weapons. You played with me in Cleveland. And so you know what it's like to have oh, crazy talented years. receivers, right? And, and just an overabundance of weapons. Does that situation remind you of the New England Patriots? And in your experience, do you think they have too much talent and not enough balls to go around to all the players who are going to be demanding it? I, I don't think so because they're going to be winning these games. And if they're going 16-0, and 0, there's nobody on that roster who's going to be complaining about the number of balls that they catch yeah. outside of maybe Antonio Brown. But even still, I feel like his reputation was so damaged in Pittsburgh and then in Oakland that he's just happy to be winning and still catching some footballs and hoping that this can turn into a Super Bowl. I truly think that right now he's he's not as crazy as people make him out to be. He understands where his situation is. And by people, you mean yourself. Yeah, I, I, he definitely has made himself out to be crazy. There's no doubt. Uh, but I don't think he's crazy. What I think he's a scumbag. There's oh, okay. a difference. Okay. He's a, he's a savvy scumbag, but he, he's definitely a, a not stupid. That That's not the case at all because I think he understands that the best thing he can do for his brand and for his finances long term right now is to win a Super Bowl with the Patriots, which could be the best team the NFL has ever seen. That would do so much more for him than getting a few more catches. He doesn't need the catches. Everybody knows he's already a great receiver. So if he's looking to increase his brand, his social media presence, his 
career earnings after this season. Like more catches isn't going to matter. Everybody understands like there's so many weapons and the ball is going to get spread around that the fact that he might not have 100 catches isn't going to matter this season. I think it'll mean more that he's a good teammate, that he catches footballs, that he makes some highlights, he gets some touchdowns and he wins a Super Bowl. And so truly, I think there's not going to be any quarreling amongst that group if they're not getting as many touches unless something crazy happens and they just start losing a bunch of games. Then, then, then in that case, then you would see Antonio going, give me the ball. I know I can help my team win in that right. case. You sent a message that uh, Brian Flores looked def- defeated in his post-game oh, presser. Jesus. Uh, I have a question for you. What is more likely to happen? The Patriots going 16-0 and or the <laughs> Dolphins going 0-16? I think it's more likely that the Patriots go 16-0 and Wow. But I, that doesn't mean that I think it's unlikely that the Dolphins go 0-16. That merely believes in my head that the Patriots are really that good and 16-0 and is a distinct possibility. Uh-huh. 0-16 is really tough because football teams are generally pretty balanced. And that's why teams that go to the tanking route, they're, they're taking what is pretty even talent wise uh-huh. and they're shooting themselves in the foot. And so when you reduce your roster by let's say 15% talent wise, now those three point games are 10 point games in the NFL. It's not like college when, you know, Toledo goes up against Wisconsin and Wisconsin yeah. wins by 50. Yeah, and if you take okay. all the starters out, they win by 30. Like there's so <laughs> much more parity in the NFL <laughs> that, that like, the Patriots are are going to have a much better opportunity to go 16-0 because the Dolphins are probably going to fall into a win. They're going to play another crappy team at the end of the season whose quarterback is probably hurt and they're a little bit banged up and maybe they've already fired their coach and they're sort of reeling. And at this point, fired just like coach? the Browns, listen, no, no, not the Dolphins. Oh, okay. No, no, not the Dolphins. I'm okay. saying their opponent. That's why they can Copy. fall into a win later in the season. So just like what happened with the Browns, remember the first year that Hugh was there, we went one in 15. We beat the San Diego at the time chargers on Christmas Eve because because what once you go game. through so much losing, like there's this real rally of the truce mentality where everyone feels like their manhood is being challenged. Like every week you're losing and everyone's saying how much you suck. That there's really this uh, like circle the wagons mentality that comes out and you really get your best efforts and guys do not want to go 0 and 16 yeah. and so you do kind of fall into these just weird games like we did uh in that season that we went 1 and 15 so i think that the dolphins are probably going to win one or two they're like i mentioned they're going to fall into it but i also kind of think that the patriots are going to go 16 and 0 right now the think about it the dolphins have let up 100 plus points in the first 2 weeks of the season. On the other side of that, the Patriots have let up three. So, I mean, I, I feel bad for Flores. And it's funny because you bring up the Browns. And obviously, that's our experience. It sucks that we relate so much to teams that suck. But nobody, they weren't using the T word when we were taking L's to the face. No. And we knew we were losing. Like, we knew what it was. But everybody else was just criticizing us just like any other NFL team. But... It's, I feel like a lot more people, when you look at the Dolphins' situations, for whatever reason, they look at them with a lot more empathy. And yes, they're all NFL players. I'm not saying that the players on their team stink, but how you do it is the players on their team are being asked to do things that are probably 
outside of their ability level, right? So when you look at the Browns, if I'm your number one receiver, and I, I think I'm a good receiver, but I'm best out of the slot. Like, that's my expertise. So I shouldn't be your main target, even in that sense. Just, it's just not my skill set. If you put 53 of the best left tackles in the NFL on a team, they still get their butts kicked. I don't care how good they are at left tackle. Mm. That's what I feel when I look at the Dolphins. Not to say these guys are bad football players. They, they don't have be a left tackle anymore. They traded them to the That's Texas, the one position the they don't have. They could use 53 <laughs> left tackles. But <laughs> they could use 53 of them. <laughs> you got a bunch of guys at stages in their career that are like, you're, they're at a disadvantage. The organization knows it. Everybody watching knows it. And I just don't know how much fight they're going to have in them if they keep they letting teams come put up 40 on them. Like, even that Dude. wasn't happening to us in Cleveland. We were keeping it tight. And, I, and there's a lot to talk about here. But uh, this summer, Hugh Jackson came out and said, the Browns coaching job was the best job that I ever did as a coach. And he was absolutely destroyed, right? Because all destroyed. anybody sees is the record. Yep. And it's impossible to get anybody to see beyond that. And I get it. Like, I understand that. And yeah. being that we were we were formerly the official podcast of Hugh Jackson, yes. I'm going to say the reason. by the way. Yeah. He pays <laughs> us under the table. I'm going to say the reason that Hugh said that and why people missed what his point was probably on purpose because he's like the most hated, hated man in Cleveland because Easily. of how bad they were when he was here. So messed up. Uh, but the reason he said that was because you weren't hearing the bad stories coming out of Cleveland like we're hearing out of the Dolphins already. There right. weren't players that were being asked to be traded. There weren't players that were being questioned about their uh, effort. Mm -hmm. There wasn't controversy constantly coming out of there. Uh, by and large, except for the veteran players, we had so many young guys, like nobody really understood what the strategy was. Right. Like other than you, me, and some of the old guys, like exactly. you kind of see it based on who we were getting rid of and w w the way we were trading picks back and things like that. Um, but by and large, we fought really hard every week. Mm -hmm. We kept games pretty close, even though the talent was very lopsided. And we fought hard till the end of the season, including winning our second to last game, meaningless game yep. against the Chargers. And I think that was part of the genius of the – serious rebuild that the Browns did. I'm not going to use the T word. The Can't serious rebuild that the Browns did was they understood that, okay, when you fill your roster with all these young people in order to develop them, you have to get them to play really hard. Like they're playing for something big, mm -hmm. because if they understand that we're not really playing to make the playoffs this season, they're not going to give their best effort. We're yes. not going to get the studying we need. We're not going to get the uh, preparation during the week. They're not going to practice hard like the way they should. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to play that hard. And if you don't get those things, you don't develop them the way you need to for the future, right? And we're already seeing that out of the Dolphins. They're not preparing. They're not practicing hard based on reports we're hearing. Mm -hmm. The play is abysmal and they're getting blown out, which is demoralizing them. And you can hear it already from Brian Flores, the poor guy. He's standing up there in front of the media and all he can say is well we just got to play better we're going to work really hard and we're going to try to get better and yes. like that's all he can say because he's in such a really bad situation um and so it i think the reason why there's so much empathy right now for the dolphins is because there was never any conversation coming out of cleveland when we were going through that of mm -hmm. this is a tank job and because of that it worked yeah. but now people are much more quick to realize when a team is 
undertaking that approach. And I think part of the reason that nobody realized Cleveland was doing it at the time was because nobody had done it before. Nobody had tried it in football. Yeah, It, it had been a basketball and baseball thing. And so now that Cleveland's done it, and I'm going to say successfully done it because they achieved their goal. They got their franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. They got their salary cap space. They got their franchise pass rusher, their franchise cornerback, and they've loaded their roster with young, talented players that are going to be together for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, whether they win a Super Bowl or not, they achieved their objective. Three to four years from the time that Sashi and his crew took over, they wanted to have an entirely new roster full of young and talented players with a good salary cap situation. That's mm-hmm. exactly where they are. Yep. Um, so now that the Browns have done it successfully, other teams are looking at that model and saying, we can do that. And so now other fans and people in the NFL are really quick to look at what's going on in Miami and go, yep, they're trying to do what the Browns did. And because of that, I think it's not going to work because the key <laughs> to the tank strategy is that people nobody knows you're tanking. Know you're doing the T job. It's the fight club in the NFL. When people know you're in the fight club, you can't act like you know it. Like there's no talking about it because once people know what's going on, it doesn't work anymore. Dude, if listen, Brian Flores, if you are listening, you need to get up and of course obviously he's listening. You need to get up in every single press conference and you need to be give me the puppy dog eyes. Give everybody the look into the camera like I can't say what's going on, but I'm not happy about it. Otherwise, CC Hugh Jackson. I want to see people, how they react to Brian Flores throughout this thing. And his, I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to be the same way. But I'm telling you, when we were in the locker room, Joe, you're exactly right. We knew we couldn't win games. The young people, they had no idea. They we went in the games with, I think, 30-plus rookies know. active. So they would work hard. I mean, we would work hard, too, because it's who we are. It's why they kept us around. But the young guys, they would work hard because they genuinely thought, like, oh, we gotta, we'll got to, get them next week. And we would be yeah, like. they were like, oh, we're right there. Like, yeah, we won't get them next week because we're going to throw to you <laughs> on third down. And you're not going to be prepared because you're 20 years old and you haven't been in big games. And, like, you can't pass rush on <sighs> Uh, Taylor Lewan and, and, and actually get to the quarterback. And, Not like, going to happen. The Dolphins allowed 102 points in their first two games, which the first two games of the season, nobody has ever given up more points in their first two games of the season. And they're tied with the 1973 Saints in the Super Bowl era. And the 73 Saints, coincidentally, they finished 5-9 and nine under head coach John North. So they were able to turn things around a little bit. But I'm guessing they probably scored more than three points if they were a 5-9 and nine franchise. Yeah, they, they probably had, had a bad defense and scored a lot of points. So I want to pose this question to you, though, as we're still on the topic of what the Dolphins yeah, are doing 30 right minutes now. into the podcast. Give it to me. What do you think Brian Flores should be giving as a message to his team? Because everybody in the league is talking about, okay, the Dolphins are tanking. So all those players on the roster understand what's going on. How does Brian Flores go in there and get the most from his players for the next couple years while they're going through this process? Man, nobody will care what our record is. What your specific, what your individual record is, in free agency that's what you tell to your players because mm-hmm. when you're looking at game film looking for a corner in free agency or someone's renegotiating a contract they don't pull up what the record is unless you're the quarterback everybody else is individual can this receiver win consistently on this route did this db in man-to-man coverage stick with that receiver can this defensive lineman get to the quarterback that's what you're playing for all the guys and again this is a business 
And the number one business beyond the NFL is the business of yourself. You're trying to make as much money as you possibly can in the small window you're physically able to play at the highest level of football. So he shouldn't have to preach that. You know, unfortunately, people hate when people play for the name on the back more than they play for the name on the front. But in this situation, it might be their only hope. That's a good take. I think he needs to do two things. One, one strategy that's been successful since the beginning of time is the divide and conquer. It's the us <laughs> versus them, right? Brian Flores is going to circle the wagons in that locker room and go, these mother effers in the management, they have stuck us in the worst situation possible. They're trying to give us a situation where we can't win. Well, you know what? We need to stick it to them. You know, it's almost like the major yeah. league. You ever seen that movie where it's like, it. stick it to the ownership? It's us. This is all we got versus the ownership. Yep. I think that's the message that he needs to send. And I think that's how he gets the most out of those guys in that room. But then I think what you were saying was, was really good. Like, okay, let's be frank. We're probably not going to win a lot of football games this year, right? So maybe that's not the measuring stick we need to use, right? It needs to be a track and field mindset. I know you're a fast guy. I know you probably ran track growing up. Yeah. In track and fast. field, you get points for your different events. You you win your event, you get 10 points. If you get second, you get eight, so on and so forth. So you're trying to win your event to help your team. But in the end, how you do is going to determine how you feel about your meet. Mm -hmm. If you win, you're like, oh, that's a nice addition. Like, I've got right. a good team. But in the end, it was like, did I win my events? So that's the strategy and that's the focus that those players need to have. It needs to be them versus their grade sheet. Those coaches need to coach up exactly what you need to do on every play super hard. And at the end of the day, they need to derive happiness from their performance on how did you grade out? Dude. Did you give your team the best chance to win? And did you do your very best? And like if you're Hawk and you, you go 69 out of 70 plays and you play really well, like perfect perfect that, that's great like and then you get a that's call what we're looking the for world champion new england patriots to come and help them get over the hump which is exactly what happened to me all right we uh beat that one into oblivion next topic <laughs> on the time of headlines the ravens beat the cardinals oh i knew you were waiting for this one a match you'd love this one of two former heisman trophy winners in kyler murray and lamar jackson lamar got the best of kyler kyler was balling but so was lamar joe have you, are you still not convinced that Lamar is the guy? So let me be clear on my stance here. Okay, and yeah, back backpedal because now that you're, you've lost a lot of weight, you could play DB. So let me hear this backpedal really quick. <laughs> still can't run. Uh, clearly, Lamar Jackson has got a good arm. Accuracy, <laughs> okay. question mark. He mm. is a great athlete because he's rushed for, what, 120 yards today, and he's one of the first quarterbacks already in only his second season to rush for 120 yards and throw for like 250 uh -huh. in multiple games or something like that. Some crazy stat. I'm sure our stat people will be all over it. But um, so he's proven that if given the opportunity, he can have great games throwing the football and running the football. What remains to be seen in my head is the fact that can he do this consistently? Okay. We saw last year uh, the Chargers 
put together a really good game plan, shut him down. Mm -hmm. In my mind, that was the last thing that I'd seen from him. And I'm thinking, well, he needs to be a much better pocket passer to be able to overcome what the Chargers have done to him. Clearly, he's made some great gains this summer and in training camp because he is a much better passer. He is threatening defenses much more now with with his arm. And the fact that he can still beat you with his feet – puts defenses in a really hard conundrum, a really tough bind, because typically when you're running a defense, you're not accounting for that quarterback running. Like a lot of those coverages that you're trying to run to to be able to account for all those receivers, you're not putting a man on the quarterback. And if the quarterback runs, like you're just figuring he's too slow that but like most quarterbacks, eventually somebody's going to get him down or he'll fall and stumble over his feet like Philip Rivers does. And you don't have to worry about it. But when you have a guy that's legitimately killing you in the rushing game uh, on pass plays like Lamar Jackson is, uh, like Mike Vick used to do, mm-hmm. you have to put a skinny guy in the box and try to account for him at all times, almost like he's an extra eligible receiver, which really hurts your pass coverage. Now, I will say he's convinced me that he can throw the football re- pretty damn well from the pocket. I'm not going to say he's uh, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers ca- Joe uh, caliber yet yeah. throwing the football. He's better than Joe Flacco, right? Okay, good. Uh, I'm not going to say he's in the upper tier of passing yet, but the addition of his running right now makes him such a dangerous quarterback that he clearly is in that upper tier of what you're getting from quarterbacks. Now, the question that I still want to see that's going to take some time to vet itself out a little bit is, can he stay healthy running the football? He had 16 carries. He's been very smart with it, but he is not like Cam Newton and even with looking at Cam Newton being a guy that we understand relies on running the football a little bit, it's taken its toll. And so yep. while he's had some great years, I think this is only Cam's eighth or ninth year. Ninth and he's year. already kind of showing a lot of wear and tear. And we wonder how much longer Cam's career is going to go on mm-hmm. because he is getting beat up so much. So that's my question, Mark, is can Lamar right now stay healthy throughout an entire NFL season and then multiple NFL seasons. Because if you want to be that long-term franchise quarterback, you got to be like Tom Brady and Drew Brees, and you got to go five, six years without missing a game. Oh, goodness. Do you got to go five, six years without missing a game? Look, I'm not even thinking that far into the future. It's like the Browns in the offseason. I was <laughs> gloating. I was calling everybody and letting them know the Browns were America's team. We're about to go to the Super Bowl. Not because I – 100 wholeheartedly percent believe, believed it. I don't know what I just said mm. there. But not that because I believed it all the sense. way. It was because I'm going to take advantage of it now where people can't refute me. So I don't mm. know when this window is closing. I don't know what Lamar is going to do next week. All I know is that he's had back-to-back weeks of balling out. So I'm going to use every opportunity, including this podcast mm. with the co-host who was talking mad-ish on the guy Ooh. and say, you were wrong. I was mm. right. Until further notice... That's what we're going to ride with. On the other side of the ball, I, Joe. I'm not going to. Uh, no, real nope, quick. Nope, I, I would nope. just like, hey, no, 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 no. I just want to make clear that my grade on Lamar was incomplete. Yours was no, A. No, we're going to pull As of last year, I didn't say he was going to be bad. I you just said, said he was I haven't to, seen enough to know what he's going to be. You said on the pod he was going to play like three games and it was going to be the end of Lamar Jackson. We'd never hear from him again. I'm not sure if that happened, but we're only in week two. So if next week, <laughs> this was nine he games survive. ago. All right. Well, the other side of the ball, Kyler Murray right, let's go to the other side. was dropping dimes. I'm talking about this dude. Like 
you could see it even in last week's game when he like battled back in the second half, and in this one, you see a rejuvenation of uh, Larry Fitzgerald. David Johnson looks like he's getting back to his old self, but when Kyler Murray is out there, it does he doesn't look like a rookie, man. Like I'm telling you, his arm strength, his accuracy. Mm. The way he's evading tackles and buying time in the in the in the backfield and dropping dimes, like he's going to he's as good as advertised, and you can see why the Cardinals traded their other first round quarterback away because they said, "Yo, we got a chance to get this dude. We got to take it." Kyler Murray has been so impressive, and the fact he's like Barry Sanders with Patrick Mahomes' arms. It's just incredible to watch him okay. move and. The way he uses that offense and gets outside of the pocket and threatens people with his feet, mm-hmm. he's so much of a better athlete than Russell Wilson because that's the first comparison that I think of in my head is like when Russell was young, before he understood coverages and breaking down routes uh-huh. and and the ability to, to beat up a defense from in the pocket, he spent a lot of times holding on to the ball, scrambling, get outside the pocket, like designed bootlegs, designed nakeds, designed opportunities for him to get out, and then kind of play backyard football where everybody's in scramble drill and people are getting open because defenses just can't cover guys that long. Mm -hmm. And so when you can buy time with your feet, guys just naturally get open. Um, But Kyler is so much more of a threat because he's just so much faster and quicker than Russell Wilson is that defenses are really, really concerned about him running with the football. And in addition, they can't get him down in the backfield. Nope. Like he starts running around. And even when there's a lot of defenders there that are really fast, they can't get him down. And he's not taking big hits because of how athletic and quick he is. I remember watching Barry Sanders when I was a kid and he never got hit hard because he was so elusive when you finally got him he kind of just ended up falling down on his own softly and gently onto like a nice feather pillow because you never got a clean hit on him because he was very slight but he was also so quick and shifty so uh kyler has been extremely impressive and the ability to run and make plays with your feet makes you so much of a better quarterback sooner because learning to stand in the pocket and throw the ball on time to a spot based on a defense and a coverage and not getting fooled by those coverages is something that takes so many years to mm-hmm. learn for a quarterback. It's so hard. That's why we see these quarterbacks that are just quote unquote pocket passers succeed later on in their careers is because it's, you have to almost go and get your doctorate in being a quarterback to be able to just stand in the pocket yep. and win on a consistent basis. But when you're able to buy time with your feet and then guys are just getting wide ass open, like we saw in the game with the Cardinals, I mean, the Ravens are a good defense and we yep. saw some guys just he was wide ass open. Like the defense all just got hit with an earthquake drill and was all laying <laughs> on the ground. Like Larry Fitzgerald, this guy's going first ballot hall of famer, one of the greatest receivers of all time just there's nobody within 20 yards of him it was like they forgot he was on the field it makes me wonder how many short quarterbacks have been passed over because of this fake you need to be six five rule like there could have been some incredible players that they said were switched to slot receiver or never got their opportunity in the league so shout out to Kyler for doing it for the little guys you know what i want to know do Do we blame doug flutie for what because everyone wants to say that well, Doug Flutie was too short, and so there, therefore, Kyler Murray won't work. And I'm thinking that I Doug don't, Flutie I don't, was I a baller. Why would anybody say that? Doug Flutie was a success. 
Why? Okay, hang on a second. How many Pro Bowls has Doug Flutie made? That is... He had to play in Canada for a while, didn't he? He had to play in Canada first to even earn a chance to come down to the league, number one. Number two, everybody knows Pro Bowls is a popularity contest. Plus, he didn't get benched for Buffalo. <laughs> I've never met a Pro Bowler that I thought was good in my life. <laughs> That's true. You know? Shots okay, fired. first of all, <laughs> Doug Flutie played like a hot second in the NFL. Yeah. And then he went to Canada. And then he bounced around there. Then he played for like three more teams for like three years each. So I can't say that he he was a raging success in the NFL, but he did earn a Pro Bowl in 1998 with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, can you say raging success at five foot nine? <laughs> I'll take it. All right, listen. Speaking of quarterbacks, we're going to two quarterbacks who are raging successes. We got Drew Brees yeah. and Ben Roethlisberger, whose team both lost this Sunday, but they both left with injuries. Is it time for the Saints and the Steelers to start thinking of a succession plan at quarterback? Well, I think clearly the Saints have been thinking of a succession plan because they got Teddy Bridgewater when a lot of people were thinking that Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback for some team in the NFL that would they would give up a lot of capital to get him. And I think Mm -hmm. even last offseason, there was a lot of teams talking to the Saints about how do we get Teddy Bridgewater? And they were obviously really smart. This is one of the themes we've seen in the NFL since the Philadelphia Eagles brought in Nick Foles and he was able to lead them to a Super Bowl when Carson Wentz got hurt. I think teams are understanding that you build this really good team. And the last thing that you want to have happen is right when you're making your run to the playoffs or the Super Bowl, all of a sudden your star quarterback gets hurt and you've got uh, Andrew Hawkins. Say it. I dare you. I'll punch you right in the mouth. <laughs> Andrew Newlarm Hawkins back there throwing the football, <laughs> who's played exactly nine years in the NFL and has two starts, both losses, by the way. And you got to have a legitimate guy. Like, that is a is a reasonable position to invest in. To spend eight or nine million dollars to have a really good backup quarterback is money really well spent because it's an insurance policy. I was talking with somebody on Twitter, like I usually do, like to get in the, the heated debates with random people that don't even have avatars yep. and uh they were they were asking me about like why would you pay a left tackle all that money if you don't think they have that much of an outcome on the game and my response was is your left tackle when he's good it's like paying an insurance policy or or like a fire insurance policy on a really expensive house if you got a 10 million dollar house you're going to pay a lot more for your insurance policy if it burns down but in the rare instance that it's going to burn down, you're going to be damn glad you've been paying that insurance policy. It's the same thing with backup quarterback because the one out of five seasons that your quarterback gets hurt, that might be your one opportunity to go and win a Super Bowl like the Eagles. And yeah. you want to have a guy that's competent that can do it. You don't want the whole thing to just crash and burn. And so the Saints are really smart about having Teddy Bridgewater because even though they lost, like he went in there and was fairly competent. And now if Drew Brees with this thumb thing, which can be a little scary because you've got a lot of ligaments in your thumb that you rely on to be able to squeeze the football, to be able to have control. Uh, I know a lot about it because I've got a tremendous arm. Let me tell you, Hawk. Yeah, you, um, I know you, how to throw a football at least 15 you. yards. Everyone knows that. Um, so if Drew Brees might have to have surgery, he might be out for a long time. I feel that Teddy Bridgewater is a great backup that give him a little bit more time to prep and be ready and get into sync with those receivers. He could lead him to at least, you know, seven wins out of nine if if Drew Brees is going to be gone like nine weeks or so. Yeah. Um, but – the Steelers, on the other hand, they just got rid of their backup. Yeah, but they just Ma- traded that too. Mason Rudolph came in. Actually, he was decent. He, he, he was actually, right. I, I want to say Mason Rudolph did better with the offense than Ben was doing prior to. 
And, and that could be indicative of a lot of things. That could be guys rallying around Mason. Typically, you kind of know how players feel about a backup when he goes in. But if the if the effort goes up, you can tell they have a lot of confidence in the backup guy. If the effort, like if they just mail it in, it's like, oh, yeah, we lost. Yeah. I'm not even going to waste my energy in this game. And there were situations like us. I remember we played Buffalo. Um, was it Buffalo? It was it was Carolina. This is after Hoyer was benched in 2014 oh, for Johnny. Yeah. And this is not JFF just about a talent in. thing. Like Johnny will admittedly say where he was at in his place in life at the time. Yeah, and Johnny definitely. was the starter. Johnny got hurt. And again, we were we couldn't even get first downs. Like we like we knew in the huddle, like, yo, we're not even gonna be able to get first downs. And we didn't for a long amount of time. I think we lost seven to three in that game or something. Yeah, but awful. when Hoyer came in, like the whole offense like kind of lifted up, like, <laughs> oh man, we have a chance. <laughs> We like, might score. This guy, we could, this this guy, guy knows you the been? plays. <laughs> what? You called that flawlessly. So, yeah, I, I think that's indicative of what the, the players think about uh, the backup when he comes to the game. All right. So, that's enough for time of headlines. Why don't we get into our world-famous Oscar-winning segment, Am I Tripping? Am I Tripping? Am I Tripping? John, tee us up on the Am I Trippings. The Chiefs scored 28 unanswered points to beat the Raiders 28 to 10 in Oakland. Guys, am I tripping or is Patrick Mahomes going to throw 50 plus touchdowns again this season? I'll take it. Not tripping. He is better than everybody else. Barring injury, yes, he's going to throw 50 touchdowns. When you watch him play, again, he is just more talented. He's throwing touchdowns to guys I've never heard of on a team full of guys that I know pretty much everybody. And there's always a new guy like, oh, he had three touchdowns today because they guard everybody else, and Patrick Mahomes still finds the open man. How about the Chiefs having 28 points in the second quarter and not scoring a single point the rest of the game? <laughs> I enjoyed that little stat. But, no, I, I agree. Right now, Patrick Mahomes is on pace for 56 touchdowns. He's thrown seven through two games. He's got an unbelievable embarrassment of riches at the weapon, <sighs> at, at the skill position. Uh-huh. LaShawn McCoy, he didn't have as great of a game this week. He had 23 yards. But Travis Kelsey, as he always does, playing like the best tight end in football. But Sammy Watkins, all of a sudden he's healthy. He had three touchdowns and almost 200 yards last week, uh, 50, 50 yards and six catches this week. But Contract Patrick year. Mahomes is distributing the football to all these dudes, like you said. Robinson, I don't know what his first name is. I'm not a Jackie. receiver savant. It <laughs> was not pos- Jackie Robinson last time I Jackie. checked. But this guy had 172 (laughs) yards and two touchdowns. To be able to do that just says two things to me. One, your quarterback is really freaking good. But two, your offensive mind, whoever's creating these plays, is really smart because he understands how a defense is trying to attack you and what they're trying to take away. And you understand your own personnel. And like in this game... He was saying, okay, we know that, okay, Travis, they might try to take you away. Oh, you're, you're still going to have 100 yards. Sam, you had a big week. They're probably going to play these type of coverages versus this personnel grouping and this uh, formation. So that's going to mean that this guy is going to be wide open. And so all you're going to have to do is mm-hmm. run this route exactly this direction, and our quarterback can get you the football. And so when you have a genius on offense that's going to be creating these plays and devising a new guy to be highlighted every single week, there's no stopping what this offense can do. And I have right now Patrick Mahomes throwing 55 touchdowns on the season. 55 touchdowns. Is that just 
uh, assimilation done by the amount of touchdowns he's done in the first two games, and you just that's exactly okay. what it is. Genius, you are a mathematician, John. What is the next? Am I tripping? Rough day for <laughs> Doug Marone and the Jacksonville Jaguars. You guys, mm. they scored what could have been the game tying touchdown, but instead of kicking the extra point, they went for two on the road against Houston. They didn't get it, and instead of keeping the ball in the hands of everybody's new favorite quarterback, Gardner Minshew, that handed it off, Minchu. also controversial. Plus, sideline cameras caught him being Doug Marone getting into it with Jalen Ramsey on the sideline. Mm. Guys, am I tripping or is Doug Marone tripping? Yeah, he's tripping. I don't know why you would go for two. And I get, oh, you got to go for the win on the road. You got to try to steal one. We got a young quarterback, blah, 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 blah. Listen, people are going to kill you if you don't get that conversion. You go for two and you lose by one. 30 seconds left. You stole a touchdown. Forced it into overtime. They'll talk about how great of a job you did as a coach with a backup rookie quarterback in his first action. And late, they rallied and took him to overtime. You don't know what could happen. Now, everybody's going to be talking about how dumb it was that you didn't kick the extra point. And you almost got in fisticuffs with your number one, probably your best player on your team. Like, it, it just looks bad. This is how This is how implosion works. We're from Cleveland. We've seen this story before. Mm. This is the first of many headlines that won't go in the favor of Doug Marone and the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is something interesting that I've noticed in the NFL. Just about the time when they moved that extra point back and the probability of success on an extra point went down and analytics really became a big part of football. I've noticed that fans and media reward coaches for being risky much more now than they used to. And I think that they attack you much less than they used to when you take risks. Think about like how mm. Riverboat Ron, the gambler in Carolina, how much they play that up and they talk about how great that is that he's willing to always go for it. And they talk about uh, Frank Reich and his his uh, risk-taking. They talk about um, Doug Peterson in Philly, how he's such a gambler and like how that's a great quality. And... I, honestly, I don't see the fan backlash now and the media backlash now for being in that situation and going for two like it used to be. Like back in the old days when we started playing and my, my rookie year was 2007 and mm -hmm. I think, what was your rookie year, 2009 yeah. in Canada? In Canada, 2008 was my rookie but, year. But uh, There's only three downs. Back then. So you can't go fourth and fourth in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Besides that fact, okay. but if, if you scored a touchdown and you were down one, nobody would even think twice about kicking the extra point and going into overtime. Now, everybody's going for two, and there's really not as much second guessing that goes on. And so I think there's just really been a sea change in everybody's perspective on risk-reward mentally mm -hmm. of risk-takers at that head coaching position. And I'm going to say that Bill Belichick was the one that started it. If you remember back when he was playing – the Colts. It was in New England, or no, it was in Indy, I think. And they were backed up like on their own 20. And I think they were leading. They were leading by like five, uh -huh. or maybe it was three. And it was fourth down and one. And they went for it and they didn't get it. They threw like a real quick uh, flat route to the sideline. And Indy did a really nice job. They tackled him, they got him down. And all Peyton Manning had to do was go like 20 yards then to win the game, and he did. And everyone was talking about it after the game, but Bill Belichick said, I knew if we didn't get that conversion, our defense could not stop Peyton Manning. He hadn't been stopped all game, and mm -hmm. we've never stopped him before. Like We knew that if we punted to them, it was over. And that was the first time I think anybody started thinking about like how good these offenses actually are and how good these quarterbacks yeah. are right now. That in the NFL, we want 
the ball in our offense's hands because we have so much trust, especially in that two-minute offense. When you think about the great quarterbacks in the league right now, it's almost automatic that they're going to go down and score a touchdown or get a field goal or whatever they need in the time allotted that when you have the football, you don't want to give it up anymore. And so teams are much more willing to go for it. And I think that's carried over to the uh, extra point in that situation with Doug Marone. So I'll be interested to see throughout this week because I'm doing that Thursday night game. It's uh, – Jacksonville versus Tennessee. Yep. I'm interested to see as I start preparing for that game what the media has said about that decision and if they've dinged him as much as he would have gotten dinged, you know, 10 years ago for making that decision. And maybe that that's what he has to say in the press conference. Hey, we have a Thursday night game. I couldn't afford my team playing an extra quarter. We had to go for it. There you go. There it is. There you go. You're welcome. That would have been good. There you go, Doug Marone. You can uh we'll invoice (laughs) you here at the Tomahawk. All right, what's the next one, John? This episode is brought to you by HP Plus. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. The Dallas Cowboys are 2-0. Dak Prescott has seven touchdowns, one interception, and an 82% completion percentage. Mm. I know it was against my Giants and the Redskins, who are pathetic. I know they are. But am I tripping, or should Dak Prescott get paid like a top-five QB? He should get paid like a top-five QB because he's played the last two weeks like a top-five QB. If you're in the running to be paid like a top-five QB, all that matters is how you've played in the last few games that you've had. And he has been balling. They are, their offense has weapons literally everywhere. Gallup is going to be a household name soon. They got Amari Cooper who still needs to be paid. They got Ezekiel in the backfield. He's got Jason Witten, his security blanket. He's got Randall Cobb, who is a household name in the game of football, but he's like their fourth option on offense. And Dak has been dicing him. He looks like a guy who is trying to make $35 plus million a season. And if he keeps it up, man, there's no you can't even argue it. Give the man his money and just hope he keeps it up after he signs on the dotted line, unlike Joe Thomas did. Now, Hawk, I think that's a good take. Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Andrew Luck, Tom Brady, all those guys that are getting paid a bunch of money. Dak's going to get paid so much more than those guys. I'm going to say that Dak's going to be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history by the end of the season. Because when you have a quarterback that consistently produces the way he's been producing, who's young, going into his second deal. Now, he hasn't played to the level of like an Aaron Rodgers, but not every player has to do that to be able to get paid. And when you're playing the quarterback position, which is the most important position in football, and you're showing marked improvement every single season, and you're so good at avoiding the turnovers, you're so good at distributing the football within the course of the offense, and you fit so well with what you've built with a good running attack, a good offensive line, good weapons. You've got some guys on the outside. You've got guys on the inside. You've got a security blanket. You've got a good defense that plays really hard. Like You don't want to let Dak Prescott go. You can't afford for the Cowboys to finally have all these pieces put together and let him walk out the door. And whenever you have a young player that you've signed at an important position and he comes up and you give him a new deal, he breaks through that glass ceiling of whatever that highest paid salary is at that position group. And he's playing so well right now, he might actually beat that highest paid player about 5 to 10%. Because I was thinking Ooh. at the beginning of the season when they re-signed Dak, he might be 
in the top five. And if he becomes number one, if he gets better than Goff or Russell Wilson, it'll be by like one penny just to make him the new highest paid guy. But because of how good he's playing and because of the way the salary cap keeps going up every single season, don't be surprised to see Dak making $35 million a year and beating the Russell Wilson contract by a couple million per season. Here's why he shouldn't want to make a 5 to 10% increase over the highest paid quarterback. Because that means the people around you will have less money to pay. And that means probably your offensive line will start to be not as dominant because there's not enough money to go around. If, if Amari Cooper gets paid, we already seen Ezekiel break the bank. Um, Collins, I think, just got a contract recently. Leo Collins, yep. And then we're in a situation where that's a lot of money on those top three, four, five, six players. They still got uh, the linebackers are probably get paid here soon. So what's going to happen is the talent around you guys will start to diminish. And if you don't have them, you're not going to have the luxury of looking as good. Right now, you're cheap. So everyone around you is being paid, but it's making you look better. So for long term, it's not about just the second contract. If you want a good third contract, the Tom Brady approach, I'm going to play for 48 years, maybe not being the top guy, but I'll be a top seven guy, top 10 guy, but I'll get more contracts than that other guy who broke the bank one time and then is out the league because his team sucked. Uh well then Dak Prescott needs to go like find Thomas. himself a model wife that makes fifty million a year and yeah. so then he can take a ten million pay cut every year but most people don't live in that reality hawk so I, I think that's a bad didn't. deal I get what it. you are doing you you accuse me of being like sometimes super pro fan and sometimes pro management uh-huh. but that was the most pro management take I've ever heard from you in anti labor because that's exactly the speaking points that the 32 NFL owners pass out at all of their union or all their their owners meetings every single year like oh we got to make sure that these quarterbacks know they got to take a discount otherwise we can't pay these guys like we can't possibly find a way to pay all these guys but you know what every year they find a way to do it it's just the talking point that they want idiots like you to regurgitate and no. say, oh, they'll, they'll never be able to figure it out. But you know what? I, they do because you know what they end up doing? They end up just converting money to a signing bonus that'll accrue over the life of the contract. And they just do funny, funny Enron accounting. And they always get people <laughs> under the cap. Enron accounting. I'm telling you, that's what they do. But then Joe Thomas there, took there's the richest this perception of any left tackle and his reward <laughs> He had me as the number one receiver because nobody else yeah. would come there because they couldn't afford him. But I would take the and money. And we I'm were like, hey, $100 million under the salary cap at the time. <laughs> so what they tried to tell you was BS. All right. Well, let's head into our three and out segment here. First thing up, first down, we got A-Rod and Matt LaFleur. Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur getting into it on the sideline. Is this something to worry about, Joe? Not today. Okay. Not tomorrow, not next week, maybe not even this season, but next year, the year after that. If I'm a Packers fan, I'm watching this real closely because you've got Aaron Rodgers, who's got a strong personality. He's Uh had a lot of success in this league. He had a lot of friction with uh, Mike McCarthy, your Mm -hmm. former coach. And all of a sudden you bring in this young whiz kid from Tennessee who a lot of people were questioning, you know, how is he going to work with Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to be able to stand up to Aaron Rodgers? And it really hasn't been much of an issue so far. They've worked pretty well together. And and I'm not even going to say that seeing Aaron Rodgers yelling at Matt LaFleur is a big deal right now. But what it, it kind of spells out a little bit is 
where that respect is. Because I think if there was a little bit more respect from Aaron Rodgers towards his head coach, he may have been a little bit more measured when he got upset and frustrated with what happened on that certain play when he was looking over to the sideline and kind of giving him the, what do you want me to do? Especially this early on. It's, it's, and now I, I I'm not saying that if things are going well it's it's going to be an issue but this could be a reoccurring theme because it seems like Aaron Rodgers has a tendency when things aren't going well behind closed doors he kind of drops little hints out there yep. into the media space so that everybody knows he's not happy and that little drama can become a little bit of a, a sticking point and a thorn between those two's relationship and the closest relationship on a football team needs to be with the head coach play caller and your quarterback do you know who i blame i will give you one guess besides rg3 no 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 don't what about kevin love no don't don't exclude him because that's exactly right. who I'm blaming. I'm blaming right. RG3. Here's why I'm blaming RG3, and here's okay. why it's alarming. You know what RG3's rift was with Shanahan? What's he that? wanted more control of the offense. He wanted to be able to sit back there, sit in the pocket, and do his thing. Why? Because in that offense, the answers to the test are right in the back of the book. So he tells you, hey, as soon as the play starts, flip to the back of the book. Here's your answer. Here's your throw. This is who you throw it to. So the offense is set up to make a lot of those decisions for you. That's not how Aaron Rodgers plays. That's not how he likes to play. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks in NFL history. So now he's in an offense, and they came out firing early on. They went up 21-0 but didn't score for the rest of the game against a good Vikings defense. But the rift between them and the thing that I'm worried about is Aaron Rodgers likes to be the decision maker. He likes to dictate where the ball goes and where it doesn't go and how I buy plays and what's what's considered a right answer, or even giving me options to say, hey, go here, 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 it's up to you. Again, in that offense, it's cut and dry. Play action here, throw there. Do this four times, we're going to run this four plays, this play four times in the first three quarters so that in the fourth quarter, here's your throw. Aaron Rodgers doesn't like to play like that, so that frustration, I feel like that's where that's coming from. Just like RG3 got frustrated with Kyle Shanahan and it began, became a rift. I could see that happen with Aaron Rodgers in the floor. Like, hey, no, this is my team. This is how I play. I'm one of the best quarterbacks ever, most talented quarterbacks to ever pick up the pigskin. I'm going to dictate where I'm throwing the ball, and that could be frustrating. So I have him on RG3 watch, and uh, we'll have RG3 oh. come on to actually I, give his comments. I will say I'm a huge LaFleur fan. I'm a big A-Rod fan, and I was the first one in the national media. See that? I said I'm in the national media. National media. I'm the first one in the national media that said the Packers should hire Matt LaFleur. And I'm going to say the the only reason it might not concern me is because Matt LaFleur is not one of these big ego guys. Like Mike Shanahan, he won two Super Bowls in Denver. He had a lot of success. So he Mm -hmm. was coming in Washington. There was this little pipsqueak from Baylor who won a a Heisman Trophy and thinks he's all that great. And he's going to tell me what to do in my offense. No, that ain't going to happen, right? Uh-huh. But with Matt LaFleur, he's never been a head coach. Like, he's got no ego going into this. He's a young kid. He's, I think he's younger than Aaron Rodgers or maybe a pretty close in age. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers got a Super Bowl. He, he's going in the Hall of Fame. So I feel like Matt LaFleur, if he takes the back seat and lets Aaron Rodgers drive the, the boat, I don't think that's going to bother Matt LaFleur at all. The only way that this could be an issue is if that other players on the team see that Aaron Rodgers has more power than the head coach, if the rest of the team kind of takes that and doesn't give him the proper respect that the head coach needs to get in order to get things done. Like 
if it's Aaron Rodgers' team and his offense, I think everyone kind of understands that. Mm-hmm. But if Matt LaFleur ever allows that to trickle into the rest of the team where some of the other players now start giving it back to him and thinking that they're going to have a lot of input in how things are run, then that could be the issue. Yeah, no, nothing nothing screams respect like yelling at somebody in front of everybody. Okay, um, <laughs> next topic we have here, Adam Vinatieri has had a tough season this year. I'm going to kick it to John. What are the stats for Adam Vinatieri this year? Two missed field goals, three missed extra points through two games. So he is like two for five for extra points. Yeah. And he has two missed field goals. Three missed. Oh, yeah, three sorry, missed sorry, two missed field goals of three, yeah. Um, this, there's speculation that Vinatieri is going to call it up. Now, I don't know. This is a Sunday night right now that we're recording this podcast, and it is going live for Monday morning. So there hasn't been no announcement. Joe, what do you, what do you, give me 30 seconds on what the hell is going on with Adam Vinatieri. Well, one of the misses that I saw from today, he hit the goalpost. It looked like he hit it pretty well, and it just kind of like tailed off a little bit um, and then hit the goalpost. So I think that kickers, they just go through little spells where they've got a few misses and they've got to just tweak their technique a little bit and mm-hmm. they get back into it. But clearly when you're 46 years old and it just – his body language watching him after the game and after some of those misses, it just felt like he wasn't into it mentally anymore. And – I mean, both of us have retired from the NFL. We know yeah. what it's like when you just get to that mental state where you're just like, mentally, I'm just not into this anymore. I just can't do it. And it seems like Adam Vinatieri might be in that situation where he just doesn't feel like he can mentally get into that space anymore, which is a weird situation to be in, but he's done it a long time. Yeah, it's probably really seasons. hard for even even for me and you to understand if you're a healthy player, if you're still successful, you're making a lot of money. Like, why would you quit? Why would you retire in the middle of the season? It makes no sense. But I think a lot of it goes back to like your mental side of it. It's the mental health side of the thing that you just get to that point where you just can't get yourself up in the morning to go through the same routine and the same motions. And you've lo- you've completely lost your love and you're ready to step away. So with that being said, do you think when we do our podcast in uh-huh. the middle of the week, uh-huh. Adam Vinatieri will be retired? I do. I have a conspiracy wow. theory about Adam oh. Vinatieri. You ready to hear it? I'd love to hear it. It's the Joe Thomas effect. He's doing the same <laughs> thing Joe Thomas did. Joe Thomas, ladies wow. and gentlemen, is the first left tackle in NFL history. Not only that, he is the first player in NFL history to play 10,000 consecutive mm-hmm. snaps. I don't know what my snap count was consecutively. I think the most I've ever played consecutively was like 28. So that's still a lot for a receiver. You must have been tired. <laughs> I was <laughs> exhausted, were... and I actually tapped my helmet to come out. Joe shrugging Mountain Dews 10, that night, thousand snaps straight. So Joe couldn't just walk off the field. No, 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 no. People would kill him. He's the Iron Man, right? Joe can never quit. He was a slave to his own endurance, his own durability. So what does he do? He purposely tears his tricep. To give himself an out <laughs> to retire, right? Oh, now oh. enter Adam Vinatieri. That's quite the Adam Vinatieri theory. The former uh, guest of the Tomahawk Show, and I, I think we have the audio somewhere. I don't know if we're going to play it on this episode or the next. But in that interview, we spoke to Adam Vinatieri. We asked him, "When are you going to retire? And what makes you keep going in 24 seasons in the league?" And he said, "You know what? Last year, when the Colts." Started off 1-5 and and then went on an 11-game win streak. He knew he had to come back one more year to make a run at the Super Bowl. So that gives you an insight into his mindset. 
right? I'm setting the stage for this conspiracy theory that is completely unfounded, no base in reality or, or no foundation of truth. But he did say this. This is, this is honest to God true. He said he was going to come back for another run at the Super Bowl. So what happens? He's talking about in this interview how he thinks Andrew Luck reminds him of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. He's a believer. They won 11 straight. He's ready to make a run at it in 2019. What happens in camp? Andrew Luck retires. So here you are. You come back to a team, and the guy that is basically driving the boat of the franchise that you believe so much in retires in camp. Now, that means, you know what? We're not going to win a Super Bowl. And that was why I decided to come back for another season. But I can't just retire off the back of Andrew Luck. He, people will kill me. He beat me to the punch. He beat me out the door. So what can I do to get out of this season and retire where no one will bat an eye? I start blowing some extra points. I start, I shake one left, I shake one right, dropped, missed three out of five in the first two games, blow a couple field goals. And say, you know what? Press conference Monday. Boom. I'm out. Nobody bats an eye. I go in and live my life on my ranch and sell my heartburn medicine. <laughs> Thoughts, Joe? Am I ridiculous? That is a hell of a hot take. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I do like it. I'm glad you weaved me in there to keep me relevant. I found it in any reality. Completely made up. Hopefully, uh, I'm using this just to get some couple retweets on Twitter so we can get some more listeners to the podcast, Tom Hawk show, subscribe, rate five stars. We'll, we'll do anything a for friend. a retweet. Yes. Um, actually, believe it or not, we have uh, a lot of fans in Kazakhstan because mm-hmm. of the retweets we get there from uh, the, her majesty over yes. in Kazakhstan. Big fan, the queen of Kazakhstan. We are the number one uh, podcast. Pretty cool stuff. Kazakhstan. All right. What's the next three and out we got here? So just for the record, we're taking notes. I don't think he's retiring. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there goes my entire <laughs> No reason. Take. Sorry for wasting uh, three minutes of you guys' time. All right, for our third down, third and one, we're going to make it quick. Josh Cribbs is nominated for the Hall of Fame. Joe, former teammate of yours, I played against Cribbsy. I wore a 16. And before I wore a 16, I actually hit him up and said, yo, man, you know, I hope you don't mind I'm wearing 16. Want to do it justice. Really? He, he gave me his blessing. That's really nice. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, he's a legend in Cleveland. You got to show yeah. respect where respect is due. Told him I hope I could do it proud. Um, I didn't do anything he, that he did, but I did work hard, which is all he asked of me. Um, what are your thoughts, man? Do you think Josh Cribbs gets into the Hall? I don't know. It's going to be an uphill battle. I would love to see him in the Hall of Fame. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he was one of the most dynamite and electric kick returners absolutely in nfl history him and devin hester are the two guys that you think of when you think of kick returners yep and just how much of a weapon they were this was back in the the day and age when you actually return kickoffs now yep. everyone just boots him out of the end zone and there's yep. no returns but he was so electric he was like our only hope ability to score for <laughs> yes. about a seven year stretch and then he was playing all phases of special teams he wasn't just kick return punt return you know, he would be the gunner. He would be on all those other yep. phases. It was pretty amazing to watch him go out and work his craft because it was all about effort. It was all about toughness and being reckless. 
And he was a big guy. I mean, he was 6'2", 230, 235, because he didn't work out very much in the summer. So he would come <laughs> back real heavy. But he was a guy that you didn't want to see, man, in the hole. He was a big man back there. So um, we're hoping to get him on the pod at some point yep. this year to talk about his nomination for a Hall of Fame. And uh, if they ask me, I'm voting him in. I'd love to see him yeah. in the Hall of Fame. But I'm not sure that they have any guys that were like specialist, uh, special teams uh, was their niche. But, hey, if there's ever a guy to, to put in there who was strictly like a special teams guy, I think Cribs would be a great candidate. We're going to go a campaign to get Cribsy in the hall, man. We played the Browns, and our coach would tell us the only chance they have to score is <laughs> the return game. If you stop Cribs from having a big game, you can beat the Browns every time. And I was like, that's messed up. But he was, he was kind of right um, at the time. Hawk, did you ever return punts or kicks? I didn't return punts because I couldn't catch them. Everybody was like, Hawk, you're so quick. Why don't you ever return punts? It'd be amazing. You're so little. Yeah, All like punters are little. And I always had to keep the lie alive. Like, yeah, man, I don't know why they won't put me back there. But the reality is <laughs> I couldn't catch I couldn't catch punts. And as a that matter of fact, such a hawk thing. when I side with the Rams, right, I got cut in the day. Um, the one practice, I dropped like three punts. Like and there is this an adventurous situation where you're dropping them on purpose because yeah, you don't want to play football on a highway as Damian, <laughs> when Damian I got, calls it. When I got to the Bengals, they were like, "All right, head back there for punt return," and I was like, "No," <laughs> and they're like, "What?" and I was like, "No, I don't punt return. I mean, I'm a five six wide receiver, strictly wide receiver. I don't do returns. Take it or leave it." And luckily, I was good enough to actually just play wide receiver. I'm one of the only receivers. In NFL history, under 5'10", who did not return kicks. That acts like starting receiver under 5'10", that wow. never returned start, kicks. Start the Hall of Fame yeah, so. nomination <laughs> process right now. Let's, let's start the <laughs> what was he known for? <laughs> he is one of the best short receivers that didn't return punts. <laughs> couldn't catch punts. It was amazing time. the way he couldn't catch punts. It's oh, really Hall of Fame. To see is strong in my book, Hawk. That's all I can say. All right, Hawk, before we go, let's do a quick preview of Browns-Jets Monday Night Football. Do, 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 do. It's the Dog Check. Dog Check. Dog Check. Browns are heavy favorites now that Sam Donald been kissing them girls on the mouth in those clubs in New York. Hawk, have you ever had mono, and did you get it after sixth grade? I've never had mono. Number one, never had mono. Uh, I don't even know that was the first question we were going to tee off with in the segment. Have you had mono? Let me just say. You've definitely had mono. I feel so bad. I've never had mono. I feel so bad for Sam Darnold because he's getting made fun of so much in the New York media and on this show, but we were sort of half-heartedly making fun of him uh-huh. because they act like he got mono on purpose and that like he was kissing a bunch of girls at the club and that's how he got it. How now, maybe that's mono? how he got it. But Is that the only way to get I'm mono? guessing. Do you have a who is our, it's a kissing our medical disease. expert here? I remember it makes you sleepy, right? Like that's everything. It makes you super tired. So I was out in um, Carolina last week for Thursday Night Football. Andrew Siciliano, NFL Network, he does a segment before us. Mm -hmm. And him and I were talking about the Browns because he's a big Browns fan and we always talk Browns stuff. And he brought up the mono thing with Sam Darnold. And he was showing me like these covers of like the New York Post and all this stuff. And they were just ripping Sam Darnold. And Andrew said that he had gotten mono I think when he was like in college or something like that. And he's like, 
dude, it's like the worst thing ever. For like four months, he said he would go to the bathroom and he would try to like brush his teeth and he would brush his teeth and he was so tired that he would lay down and literally take a nap in the bathroom because he was too tired to go back what? to his bed. So it makes you mono. like, <laughs> you should, you should probably see another doctor. It second makes you four months of mono like incredibly, incredibly tired. We had kids in my middle school and high school that had gotten mono uh-huh. and they're literally out the entire semester. And so the fact that Sam's not going to be playing in this game and he's not going to be playing for like several weeks doesn't surprise me at all because I can't imagine how if you don't have enough energy to brush your teeth and go back to bed, how you have enough energy to go and go through a work week of an NFL work week. When I was yeah. feeling good and healthy, when I got home at the end of a day on like a Wednesday or Thursday, it was six o'clock and I would fall asleep with my head in my spaghetti at dinner. <laughs> I was so exhausted. I could barely make it upstairs. And now if you're sick on top of that, to try to have to go through that and then try to go play a game on Sunday, it's right. gotta be nearly impossible. But then, like I said, I feel bad for the poor kid because he didn't do it on purpose and he's sick. Like he's got an illness and everyone's making fun of him. Yeah. I mean, your, your tiredness might've been contributed to from Nat stinky weed. Um, <laughs> uh, real quick, WebMD, according to WebMD, mono is really only transmitted through saliva. So it's either it's typically either kissing, that's why they call it the kissing disease, okay. or sharing drinks. My ah. theory is that he was sharing a toothbrush with Andrew Siciliano, just my take. Okay, sharing a toothbrush oh. with Andrew Siciliano or the Gatorade. There's those nasty-ass yeah. uh, players that go mouth on Gatorade. I've seen people like you, know, get that? The, you got the, the spray bottles. I've seen players do it. I've had teammates go mouth on. And I'm like, dude, mouth on Gatorade? Come on, bro. That's like, that's communal. You can't do that. They don't care. Mouth on. They so don't, I don't want to squirt it on my face. Go ahead. If Sam Darnold has mono, do you think they could like go backwards and find out who gave him the mono? Like, I'm, is there another guy in the Jets that has mono right now that we could say, you gave him mono? Or is mono like, what was it, typhoid Mary? the one that was given everybody typhoid, but she wasn't showing any of the diseases because she was like resistant to it. Uh-huh. So can you be resistant to mono and give it to a bunch of other people? That's a good question. If you know the answer, please call our call Tomahawk yes. hotline 440-628-1376. We yep. need those doctors out there to come on and let us know. If you have mono, can you give it to other people without showing symptoms yourself? Because we got to know. Gotta we got to get to the bottom of this. Who was Sam Darnold kissing that he got mono from them? And but, we, I mean, we're six minutes in and we haven't talked Browns football yet. I had no intentions of talking uh, Sam Darnold mono. Uh, yeah, but here here's my point. This is what we're getting to. Andrew Cicillamano, call us. <laughs> we need to hear. Did he want Sam you to Darnold tell is, people that he had mono? Did he say that on his show or did he like tell you that in confidence? So I'm going to have to call him and just make sure that it's cool that I share <laughs> the fact that he had mono because otherwise this whole segment is totally after <laughs> oh, uh, because obviously personal <laughs> medical issues, you don't want to share with everybody. Anyways, the Browns are going to win Monday night football against the Jets, whether Sam Donald resurrects from the dead, gets into Justin Bieber's drug bag and finds cocaine so he's not <laughs> oh, sleeping anymore. <laughs> or he's not. This whole segment is dead. Because he's still got mono. <laughs> because Sam Darnold has not proven to me yet that he is a reliable franchise quarterback. And I'm not convinced yet that whether he's there or not, 
changes the outcome. The Browns are so motivated to show that what happened last week was an abomination mm-hmm. and was completely not who they are that they were going to go out and beat the brakes off the Jets no matter who was playing at quarterback. And additionally, Greg Williams, it seems like there's a lot of guys in the Browns that didn't really love Greg Williams very much uh, because yeah. all I've been hearing about all week is how much everybody hated Greg Williams. And then if he got the head job, Demarius Randall said he would have instantly asked for a trade. <laughs> Miles Garrett talking about how Greg Williams only let him rush two different pass rush moves. And now that he's going to be able to do more than that, he's going to have all these sacks. So that's definitely the drama that I cannot wait to watch for on Monday night football. A lot of beef going on. Here's the, here's a lot the, of beef. Here, here's the one thing that's encouraging for Browns fans. OBJ built the house. That is, what is the name of the stadium? MetLife Stadium. MetLife Stadium. OBJ built MetLife Stadium. He has like the most receiving yards there. I think ever. Like most touchdown catches, most passes, and all of that. So he's actually going back home. Not a revenge game for him, but he feels very, very comfortable in that stadium. And like you said, yes, the Browns are ready for revenge. They're ready to show everybody that they are still feeling as dangerous as they once were. Mm. They are still as confident as they once were. And OBJ is not going to let the Jets come in here and beat us on his watch. All right? I see will what, say. See what I did there? Watch. All right. <laughs> oh, I like that. That was good. OBJ, he's going to be wearing that big expensive watch. Is he going to wear it? I, he said he's going to wear it. All right. Uh, he didn't listen to the Tomahawk show. I told him not to wear it, but he's going to wear it. I mean, I, I, I like the Jets regardless of this information, but Sam Darnold out with Mono. CJ Mosley, highest paid linebacker in the league. He's out. Quentin Williams, first round pick defensive tackle. He's out. You, he's out. You take that. Coupled with the fact, like you said, that this Browns team is motivated to show everybody they're not a fluke and they're not all hype, I think it's going to get really, really ugly for the Jets on Monday Night Football. And this this is like where Baker Mania started against the Jets. So what better team to kick off the 2019 yeah. run against than the New York Jets? And one thing we do know about Baker is he's very highly motivated about what the outside people are saying about him. And after that really bad performance by the whole team, but him specifically, he got a lot of heat this week in the media and people talking about his performance and maybe some of the hype going into it that Mm -hmm. possibly affected how the team played. Um, He's very resolute to go out and have his best performance of his career against the Jets. I I briefly uh, texted with him this week, and he seemed very optimistic and very excited. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the hallmark of a guy that's ready to have a huge bounce back game. So for all you fantasy people out there, make sure you put Baker in the game because I feel like he's about to go off. Do you, is there a chance that Baker gave you a burner number like, and it's actually like his cousin or something because he doesn't really want you to have access to him? There's about a 65% chance. Okay. Just, about a 73% chance that that's a burner. <laughs> it's probably a secretary. Yeah. And, uh, or it could be a Russian bot. He's got it set up, so yep. it just gives me like the – the, the cookie cutter answer that just makes me happy. I'm like, oh, look at Baker. He's so excited. This means we're going to win. I can't wait. It's like, you bet your Browns fans. I'm back and better than ever. Like, oh, Baker is ready. It's a fan He's like account. Woody in Toy Story. You just like right. pull the string in the back and you get the car, the, uh, the the canned answer. Send us a message via voicemail, 440-628-1376. Let us know what your thoughts are about the Browns. Leave us mono jokes. Leave us pretty much anything. We just want to hear from you. I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. This is our second 
video episode here on the Tomahawk Show. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate five stars, hit us up on social at Tomahawk Show on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit. Already gave you the voicemail line, Facebook group, Tomahawk, all of that. Joe, final thoughts. We've been here way too long. Final thoughts. I'm going to Jacksonville this week. I'm pretty excited about watching the, the Jaguars and the Titans. And I'm praying that it's a little cooler than last week because I don't know if you saw, but it was hot as balls in Carolina. It was 99 <laughs> degrees when we started recording for the pregame show for Thursday Night Football. And I'm thinking, man, I am really glad I lost weight and I worked out a lot this summer because I look over to my right and one of my co-hosts did not get on the exercise program. Another mm. receiver that decided that never wanted Damn to run man. again hey. a day in their life after they quit playing football. <laughs> and the very first segment we got, I look over and it legitimately looks like he had just jumped into the ocean and he just climbed out <laughs> because there was sweat dripping off of his nose and we were less than 90 seconds into the first pit. So while I say I hope it's cooler in Jacksonville this week, I really mean I hope it's hotter because I cannot wait to see how much Steve Smith is sweating when we're standing out there under that hot-ass Jacksonville sun, and I'm sitting there glistening thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not that fat anymore. Oh, man, that's messed up. Hey, can you – I need to say – I need you to say a phrase for me on Thursday Night Football. We're going to start Ooh, doing are that. we going to do code words? We're this is do what code, I do with my kids. Tomahawk code words every this. time Joe is on it. the desk. Here's the phrase for this week it. off the top All of the right, head. Let me write this down. You got to get your money's worth. Write it down. Okay, that's the code this week. Okay. Quote, you got to get your money's worth. Tomahawk fans, so if we're watching Thursday Night Football, we need you to record when and if Joe drops the code Tomahawk phrase, you got to get your money's worth. Dude, I love this. This is going to be a fun This is such game. a genius Thank twist you. to the Tomahawk show Thank so you. that all the Tomahawk out there knows that I'm giving them a shout out on national TV. Yep. Thursday Night Football, we may be talking Titans and Jaguars, but all I can think about is you Tomahawkians. That's it. The best people on I'm gonna, earth. I'm going to drop it on my show this week too. You got to get your oh, money's worth. Wait. That's our Tomahawk Got to get your money's worth, Hawk. Of the week. All right, Joe. That does it. Take us out, brother. Joe Hawk yourself.